Amen, amen. How, can we, with a collective grateful heart at all of our campuses today, lift up just a shout of praise to our God, amen? What are you thankful for? Yes, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just come to you now. We just say that, Lord, we are entering your house with thanksgiving and with praise. God, we have so much to be grateful for. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've accomplished on our, be- on our behalf, Lord. And we pray right now as we dive into your word, we, that you would deposit something inside of us that is life-giving, that is eternal, that is true. God, as we embrace your word today, we just all declare and we all say that we stand under the authority of God, under the authority of your word. God, you give, we give you permission in this place. We give you permission in each of our campuses today to correct, to rebuke, to bring life, to exhort, to invite. And so, Lord, we just say in this place today, God, have your way. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, speak to us today, we pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I'm going to get you to remain standing just for a few moments. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys. It's good to be here. Greetings to you from Halifax and greetings to all of our campuses as, as, as well, our locations, our seaside location on the west side and our Sam to Sham location. They are doing a soft launch right now. So can we just give it up for our locations right now? And of course, everybody who's tuning in online, I've got a lot to cover today. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to turn with me to Micah chapter six. Micah chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Just put a hand up and one of our ushers will give you a Bible. Micah chapter 6. You might need your table of contents to find it. And so, uh, but we're going to look at this very important topic today. But before we do, I want to read to you out of Isaiah. Isaiah 58. And this is a word that the prophet is giving to the people of Israel. And it's a very significant word. And I want this to kind of frame where we're going to be going today. Uh, But let's look at this together. You can see it on the screen behind me. Isaiah 58. This is what it says. It says, shout aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to the people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to, to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and is not forsaking the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. I hope you're catching what types of people these are. But look at verse 3. It says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do not. You do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling, the Lord says, in strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Look down at verse 6. The Lord says this, he says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? That word wanderer means immigrant. Get that in your mind. It means to provide wanderers shelter when you, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, it's, God says, then after you do all of those things, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guide. I want to talk to you about today is a very significant topic. The topic is justice. Justice. This is week five of our series that we're calling Trending. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some major topics, and we've been looking at the Word of God and getting the timeless truth of the Word on some of these things that are just pressing up in our face and the reality that we live in. And I want to talk to you about this topic today, justice. And I believe that today, today is a word of exhortation. I I hope it encourages you, but I also believe it's a word of invitation. And so today, uh, would you press in as we press in together? to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through this. The title of my message today is Justice for All. Justice for All. All right, before we dive in, why don't you turn to a few people you didn't come to church with, give them a fist pump and say, hey, 
Justice is for you today. There's justice for you today, all right? Well, if you're alive today, if you have a pulse, there's one thing I know to be true about you because I know it's true about myself, and that is you care deeply about justice. Do you not? Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, every human being has an innate sense and natural longing for justice. And what he's saying is that it's just part of who we are as human beings. Am I right? Um, one of the ways that we see this in our society and our culture is I, I think we like to do this for some of us. I don't particularly like to do this. But um, one of the ways we see this in our culture is that we love to quarrel, right? Like, don't, don't some of you love a good fight sometimes? Some of you are like nudging your husband right now or your spouse and you shouldn't be doing that. But, but we, we see it everywhere. We see it on the news. We see it in our homes. We see it in, in, in our schools. We see it at the gym. We see it at the workplace. It's just in us. And the idea of quarreling is interesting to me because when we quarrel, um, it's not so much about us trying to correct someone else's behavior. What we're trying to do is we're trying to say we're right and you are wrong. And there's something inside of us that just wants to be right, right? Am I right? <laughs> well, like my, like for instance, and, and, and again, like, uh, I don't know about you if, you, if you don't see this in yourself, you've got to see this in your kids. You know, my, my daughter, she's three and a half now, and uh, we're kind of running into this strange stage with her, and one of the things she's doing, and maybe parents, you can attest to this and, and just tell me that my kid's not crazy, but right now, she's obsessed with time, like every five minutes, she comes up to me or her mother and says, hey, what time is it? And like five minutes later, what time is it? What time is it? Uh, just the other day, I came home from work, and as I walked in, you ever walk in sometimes, you just know that you're walking into like a battleground, like a war has been fought that day. And uh, my wife and my daughter were at each other, and I was sitting down, and I was talking with my wife about it, and she's, your daughter is just insane today. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about what's going on. And she says, well, this morning, she comes up to me, and she says, mommy, what time is it? And Leanne turns and says, well, sweetheart, it's 10 o'clock. And Eden goes, no, it's not. It's 6.30. And Leanne says, no, it's 10 o'clock. I mean, see, look, that, that, that's a 10 right there. She goes, no, it's not. It's 6.30. But Eden, it's 10 o'clock. I'm telling you, it's 10 o'clock. And they just went back. And it was just one of those days. And Leanne finally said, you know what? If you think it's 6.30, it's 6.30, right? And the point is this, is that there's this innate desire. There's this innate sense in all of us for right and wrong. And not only is it in us, we become very passionate and outspoken about it, do we not? And we see this in our culture, our way of being passionate and outspoken now on social media is that we hashtag everything, right? Like it goes into the whole hashtag me too. I'm serious about this. Um, we, we, it's people taking stands, right? We have people standing outside, they're riding. I think it was a week ago. Um, a, a guy named, uh, I think his name is Scott Bannon. I can't, he was in Trump's cabinet. I don't think it's Scott Bannon. Anyways, his last name is Bannon. He was in Toronto. And if you watch the news, there were people outside Toronto taking their stand and saying, this guy being here is an injustice. It's wrong that he is here. And so you see people taking sides. You people, see people standing to make a point. You also see people kneeling to make a point. Anyone ever heard of Black Lives Matters? You probably heard the name Colin Kaepernick. He's the former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. And the reason he's the former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers is because he decided to take a kneel, to take a stand, and his kneeling happened in the national anthem. Well, people went nuts over that. And so now, you, and kind of pressing up against him and saying, oh, oh, oh you're going to be, you're going to show us justice. We're going to show you justice as the NFL. No one's going to sign you to a team. And so we, we're kind of caught in this world, right, where, where we are in ourselves longing for this idea, this foundational thing we call justice. But what I want to talk to you about today is, is, is and really just this question of what is justice? 
Because we can sit and we can talk about all the issues and we really don't have time to talk about all the issues. There's just hundreds of them and they're all valid, but all of them stem from this very foundational thing in all of us, which is justice. And when we come to justice, it's something we agree to disagree on, right? And we probably see this best in our political spectrum, Like if you're conservative or if you're on the right or if you're a Republican, if you're from the States, you see justice as an individual personal responsibility. In other words, I believe what is right for me and the government is going to serve my needs. That's what that means. But if you're on the left or you're democratic or you're liberal, uh, you see justice through a different lens. You kind of see justice as a communal state of responsibility, that it's the state that oversees what is right and what is wrong. Being from the states, I know most of you don't probably understand the whole fight of gun ownership and the right to bear arms, and that is a very real issue but I got to tell you, guns are the issue on the surface. What is actually going on underneath the surface in that whole argument is really an issue of what defining what is justice. And so we live in this world where we all agree justice is important. It's innate. It's part of who I am. I can't help but to, to, to want to be right and to, and, and to see the wrong. But we really just can't agree on what justice actually is, can we? So where do we stand? How do we make a case for justice? And I want to share with you today a biblical framework for justice. That that we as Christians are actually supposed to be involved in areas of justice. That there is such a thing as Christian justice. And for some of you here today, that might seem like an odd turn, almost like an oxymoron. Does Christian and justice actually go together? And the Bible actually makes a really good case for this. And justice is not an issue that we should shy away from. And there's two reasons why we should not shy away from this. The first one is this. It's because there is too much injustice in the world for the church to stay silent. We've got to speak up. We've got to do justice in our world. To actually not do justice is actually unjust in the church. We cannot be people who go and hide in those doomsday creeps. You ever see those guys? Like they, they build these shelters and they, they put food in like a cavern for 25 plus years. I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor David in Halifax and I, we actually went to buy something from this guy off of Kijiji. I'm pretty sure he was one of those guys. <laughs> there was stuff everywhere. And we were driving up his driveway and David looks at me and says, we're going to die. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think we are, right? But We just cannot stay out of the world. That's why one of our values as a church is to love the world. This is what we say. We say, uh, we serve a king whose extravagant love for this world compels us to engage it, not escape it. And church, if I can just be honest with you, that's not just some cute little statement. That's actually a statement of justice. That really is that what we're saying is that we believe another world is possible and that our lives are called to bring a lot of that other world into the world that we live in. Listen, we are not a people waiting to go to heaven. We are bringing heaven to earth type of people. So we just can't sit by and watch. We can't. The second reason, though, why justice is important to us, and it ought to be, is because justice is actually very near to the heart of God. So much so, and I'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but so much so that we are actually commanded by God to do justice. Did you know that? And this is where we pick up in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Look what it says with me. If you have your Bible open to it, it says, and this is God speaking, or this is, uh, this is Micah speaking on behalf of the Lord to the people. And he says, he, speaking of the Lord, he says, he has shown you, O mortal. He has shown you, O humanity, is what he's saying. He has shown you what is good. Now keep that statement in the back of your mind. He has shown you what is good. So what does the Lord require of you? Listen closely. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. 
I want to press on you how important this topic is and how weighty it is. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of help frame this for you in three areas today, if I can do that. Uh, The first area is justice defined. I want to give us a good definition of what justice is. I also want to tell you what justice isn't. So justice defined, yes, but also justice denied. And then I want to talk about how justice is delivered, how we actually do justice in the world. Are you with me? We good? All right, so justice defined. What is justice? That's a good question. Uh, The biblical definition I want to give you is this. Um, it, It means this. It means to go places where the fabric of shalom has broken down. It means to be actively involved in going places where the fabric of shalom has broken down. Does anyone know what the word shalom means? It means peace, right? And it's, and it's more than just a peace of like we're getting along. It's a peace in the context of the way the world is functioning or the way it should function. Do you know that when God created the heavens and the earth, that he created, created it to function a certain way? And, and that way that God created intentionally is what we call shalom. It was his peace that he infused on the earth, that he gave us functionality and he gave us uh, activities and he gave us all of these things to do, but because the Bible says that sin entered the world, um, the shalom has broken down. In a way, it's poked holes in the fabric of the creation that God had from day one. And so if there are holes in our society, and we can probably all agree that there are, one of the things that we find in our world today is that there are weaker people who are falling through the fabric, And what we're called to do as we look at a biblical understanding of justice is we're actually called to go and repair and to restore it. So in one sense, we're all quilters. Like your grandma was on something, right? We're to go patch holes. But we're not just to patch any hole, any way. You see, when we go do justice, let let me say it this way, when we go do justice, Our job is to inject the goodness of God into society. Now, this is where we differ from how the world does justice and how the church does justice. You see, when we do justice, when we go in and we are active and we are loving, we do those things. When we walk away, people need to know and see the goodness of God in what we've done. But when the world does justice, what people see is the goodness of people. And so we are called to reflect heaven in the world. But what does that look like? I mean, really, how does that flesh out practically for us? And I want to give you six characteristics for biblical justice. And I'm going to rifle down through these real quick, okay? So if you want to take notes, go ahead and do that. But here's the first one, and we already touched on this. Six characteristics of biblical justice that I want to give us that would frame us as we, as, we, as we enter into the world and as we do justice in the world. Here's the first one. Our justice is grounded in God's character. First and foremost, our justice is grounded in God's character. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to what this says. It says, for the Lord your God is, is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. I mean, all of God's people said, Amen. Isn't that an incredible description of God? But it goes on to say this. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Do you know in the Old Testament, God actually makes provisions for those who are poor and oppressed? And then verse 19 says, and you are to love those who are foreigners. And this is key, and we're going to come back to this. But it says this, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3 says this, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Amen? Man, I feel like we can worship after those statements. Justice, you got to see it. Our justice is grounded in the character of God, so much so that when we don't do justice as the people of God, it's like we're not in right relationship with God. Like, that's how serious this is. Like, I hope this startles you a little bit. 
Like if we go, if we draw back to Isaiah 58 where we started, did you hear the description of the people of God? That these are people who sought after God, that they go after him day after day after day, that they want to know God's ways. People are drawn to God, but God comes along and says, because you have ignored the oppressed and because you've actually been doing some things to be, be in oppression, you are actually not in right relationship with me. You're still in rebellion. It says in verse 4, look, look, this, here's the problem. It says, yet on the day of your fasting, which is the Sabbath day, by the way, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling, in strife, in striking each other with the wicked fist. What was going on in that day? What was happening is that those who were free Jews were practicing the Sabbath day themselves. They were doing no work, but God said in his law, it doesn't matter if you're free or a slave or a foreigner or if you're from Israel. Everybody observed the the Sabbath. No one was supposed to work on the Sabbath day, but what the people of God were doing was that only the free men were working, but the free men were making the slaves work on Sabbath. And what the Lord says when he comes along and says this, listen, if you want your fasting to be true, if you want your worship to be true, if you want to be right with me, then loose the chains of of injustice. Then set people free. Feed the hungry. I don't know about you, church, but that's a convicting word to me. Because what it's saying is that I, I can go to church I can seek after God, I can sing all the worship songs, I can listen to the preacher preach, but if I'm neglecting justice, it is equal to not being in right relationship with God. That's startling. And and if if some of you might be saying, well, that's just Old Testament. Jesus actually doubles down on this. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, he comes along and Jesus is telling to his disciples, he says, hey, there's going to come a day when the king of glory comes on his throne and all of his angels are going to be there. And, th- and then he describes what the king is going to do. He says, I'm going I'm to separate the people in front of me. The people on the right are going to be the sheep. The people on the left are going to be the goats. And listen to what the Lord says to the people on the right. He says, for the Lord your God, oh, sorry. Uh, then the king said to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, listen, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me and you visited me. And the, and the, and the sheep that is going to look at the shepherd and say, when did we ever do that? And the Lord was going to say this. The king will reply, says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. Because justice is in the nature of our God. And here's the second thing you need to know. Our justice is also grounded in grace. Our justice is rooted in grace. It is grace Fueled. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 10, the tail end of it, God says this. He says, I, I will defend the cause of the fa- you defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and love the foreigner residing among you. Get them food and clothing. Here's why, and you are to love them as well, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Listen, church, we do not do good in the world because we're the rescuers. Change your perspective. We do good in the world because we're the rescued. Like we know and we've experienced grace. Out of grace, Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, writes this. Those who are middle class in spirit tend to be indifferent to the poor. But those who grasp the gospel of grace will find themselves gravitating toward the poor. Because it's grace-fueled. Our justice is grace fueled. Number three, our justice is grounded in the whole. What do I mean by that? Our justice is holistic. That we, 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 we are not going to do justice half-heartedly. We are not going to do half a job when we go do justice. We are to do a whole job. And if you want proof of that, look no further than Jesus. If you read the Gospels, Jesus met everybody's needs He gave them resources, he met spiritual needs, he met physical needs, he met material needs, he met psychological needs, he healed, he fed, he cared for the people in all aspects. Listen, church, when Jesus comes along in John chapter 10, verse 10, and he says, I've come 
so that you would have life and life to the full, life in abundance. Understand that that's not just a fun statement that Jesus is saying. He's actually declaring justice over the world. You see, our world says, says this, justice is, we'll give you what you need. But the gospel says, God gives us all that we need. And so our justice is whole. It's an all-the-way sort of justice. God, and I, don't you love our God? Our God doesn't just give handouts. Like the world just gives handouts. You know what our God does? He, he, he gives a hand up. He pulls us out of our mess. He pulls us out of the, the mire, the rock. He doesn't do half a job with us in our lives. And so our justice is whole. The fourth one is this. Our justice is radical. It's radical. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he got invited over to a meal one day and, and he looks around and he sees at the meal that there are all these different guests and all these different people who, uh, who are rich and who have wealth and who have influence. And then Jesus decides to, to speak to the host about this and look what he says. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors if you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Listen, Jesus is not giving guidelines here for a party. What he's saying is this. What he's saying is that when we are engaged with people, we, our justice is like a one-way giving. Like it's investing, knowing that you're not going to get anything in return. Like isn't that, isn't that awesome though? Isn't that incredible that God calls us to that standard? That's what I love about Love Week, right? When we do Love Week, it's incredible. Because it's, it's giving, it's acting out. That, that's justice to the world. It's radical. Our justice has to be radical. The fifth one is this. Our justice is grounded in the universal. It's grounded in the universal. I'm going to move on to number six. Our justice is grounded in the eternal. God's justice is not temporary, is it? It's forever. It's lasting. Psalm 93 in the Passion Translation says this, Look, Yahweh now reigns as king. He has covered himself with majesty and strength, wearing them as his splendor garments. Regal power surrounds him as he sits securely on his throne. He's in charge of it all, the entire world, and he knows what he's doing. Lord, you have reigned as king from the very beginning of time. Eternity is your home. Our God, when he acts and when he works, it is not temporary. It is for all of eternity. What does that mean for us as a church? Hear me, church. Hear me very clearly on this. When we do things, it has an eternal impact. It reaches beyond time and space. That when we do justice, that what we establish here is actually going to carry forth into eternity. Isn't that incredible to think about? That our justice is long-lasting. It's not a temporary justice. It's forever. So what is justice? Justice is a lot of things, isn't it? It's multi-layered. It's radical. It's whole. It's universal. It's, it's part of God's nature. It's grace-fueled. It's, it's, it's also eternal. But what is, what is justice not? And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes about justice denied. Because there's, there's a lot of talk about justice in the, in the world, isn't there? There's a lot going on out there. A lot of talk, but the world still isn't fully right. And I want to give you some things about what justice isn't because there's a right and wrong way to think about justice. And, and the first thing is this. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Justice is denied when justice is external. When it comes from an external place, not an internal place. And here's the scary part about doing justice as Christians it can, it can soon become very quickly religious. It can lead to hypocrisy and legalism. It can motivate righteousness on the outside. You see, it's possible to do justice and still be self-absorbed. It's possible to do justice and do it because it makes me feel good. And this is the problem that Jesus has with the, with the Pharisees. And the thing that we need to be careful of, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm concerned with your heart motive. You see, the world has a different view of justice altogether. See, what the world says is we work for a cause. But what the Bible says, what the gospel says, is that we actually work from a cause. The world says we've got to have a cause. We've got to have a cause. How many of you heard that? Man, I love the cause I'm part of. We've got to have a cause, right? But the Bible says we don't have a cause. A cause actually has us. God's cause in the world is our cause. You see, we don't do justice to be filled up when it's external and we do justice. I hear it all the time from people. Man, I love doing my good deed of the day. It makes me feel good. We don't do, this is the difference. I'm serious. Like we, we don't do justice to get filled up. Listen, we do justice from the overflow. We're already filled up in Jesus Christ. It's an eternal expression that God is calling us into. And so when it's, when it's external, it's not justice. It's nothing more than just a pick-me-up. But when justice is eternal, when the goodness of God washes over your heart and, and life, then it's a response of grace and gratitude. Justice is not an external thing. Justice is also, uh, justice is also not justice when it becomes doable. <laughs> when it goes from radical to measurable. And we actually see this in, in uh, the story of, of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus tells the story, he's confronted by a lawyer. And the lawyer's just really doing his job. You see, the lawyers of that day were just going around to teachers and, and preachers and making sure that they were preaching the right law and the right gospel. And he comes to Jesus one day and he says, what do you believe about eternal life? Like, that's an important question. You better get that one right, Jesus. And so Jesus says, okay, uh, what, does the, what does the law say? Perfect Jesus answer. Question he answers with a question, right? And so he, he, he comes back. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay, then go do that. But it's not over. The Bible says that the lawyer decides to justify himself. That's an interesting phrase. He justifies himself, and he says, well, who is my neighbor. You see, what was going on in his mind is that at one time in, in Jewish history, uh, the law was, was added onto. There's the law that God gives, and God comes along, and, and the Old Testament says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just love your neighbor. But over time, what happened is that the people of Israel decided that was too difficult, and so they added sort of a, an abbreviation on the end of it. it. It's called the Mishnah. It's like a commentary for the word. And so these guys, so these guys added added, uh, uh, instead of just saying, love the Lord, uh, love your neighbor, they also added, hate your enemies. Why? So, so it could be doable. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Do you hear it? There's the law of God, and then there's the Mishnah. And God is saying, but I tell you to love your enemies. Now, why would they modify the law, right? Why would they do that? So that they could do it. So it could be doable. And when something is doable and something is measured, therefore you can justify yourself. You see, they believed that the radical demand to love your neighbor was actually too radical. And I want to tell you something, that's actually the point. Because when justice ceases to be radical... It ceases to be justice at all. Because the human impulse, my heart and your heart, we, 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 we have this impulse to narrow down the human, the human field, to bend justice down just through our inner circle and to my tribe and to my nation and even to my church. But that's not justice. That's the third thing. Justice is narrowed down. It, when, it, when, it, when it ceases to be universal, to just a narrow selected group of people, when you are only generous as you want to be with the few people in your circle and you justify doing it, that's a very dangerous place to be. I would make a case that's why there's so much injustice in the world today. Eleanor Roosevelt once said this. She said, justice cannot be for one side but it must be for both sides. And if it's not, it's not justice. So we have justice defined, we have justice denied, but justice delivered. How do we 
do justice. Now, the world says this. The world says we need machinery. We need, we need a plan. We need the right social policy. We need the right education. We need the right technology. We need a plan in order to, to see social justice, to see justice come to, to, come to grips in our world and in our society. But here's the problem. The problem isn't not knowing what to do. The problem is that people just don't want to do it. Uh, I was reading in, uh, this lady's diary. Her name is Beatrice Webb. And she was the architect for the British welfare state. And she put together a pretty good one. It's lasted for a very long time. Um, but her framework when she started out in justice issues is that she believed in her own mind. What she believed was is she believed in the goodness of humanity. And she thought because we're good... Therefore, we can create a system or a structure that is going to produce good. It's going to patch the holes in the fabric of society that we see around us. But 35 years later, she's reflecting on that time when she started out in injustice. And listen to what she has to say. It's interesting. She says, I have staked, on, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. Now, 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts of man. How little you can count on changing some of these. For instance, the appeal of wealth and power. Look what else she says. She says, no amount of knowledge, catch this, or science will be of any avail unless we can curb the bad impulse. What is she saying? This is a woman who's given her life to justice, and what she is saying there is, I have tr we've tried a plan. We've tried to put together an education, education system. We've tried to put together the right technology. What she's saying is that there's something wrong with the heart. That when the heart changes, society will change. Now, now justice... You see, this is, this is where it gets really interesting for us as Christians because we have one storyline and the world has another storyline. You see, justice, when you think about the word justice, do you know that justice actually demands punishment? You hear that? Like, we, just, we even serve justice, right? Like, it demands punishment, uh, grace means this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Justice, however, is getting what we deserve either for punishment or for protection. You see, the world is seeking justice out in the world. Or we're seeking for justice. We want to bring things to right, but we do that through punishment and protection. But this is where we differ from the world church. This is where we di differ as the people of God. We don't seek justice as the people people of God. We seek Jesus. Because Jesus is our justice. You hearing me? Like the world says you want justice, go get a jury. But the gospel says you want justice, go get Jesus. You see, God does not do his justice with a gavel. He does justice with a cross. And at the cross, make no mistake, there is punishment. There is justice being served. But there's also protection that is taking place at the same time. The cross is where punishment and protection meet. But the, the good news is, and the difference between the world is this. The world says to justice, you give people what you deserve. But the gospel says that God gives Jesus what we deserved. So Jesus gets the punishment, we get the protection. Jesus gets the condemnation, we get the forgiveness. Jesus gets stripped down naked, we get a robe. Jesus gets retribution, we get restoration, amen? You see, a lot of people say, well, is, there, is, 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 is Christian justice, is it retributive justice or is it restorative justice? It's both. Justice is served to both of us at the cross, Jesus gets the retribution. We get the restoration. You see, this is what God is doing. God is giving to Jesus what the world is actually screaming for. But the result is really what our hearts are longing for. Restoration and life. 
You remember what I said in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where God says, listen, mortal, listen, humanity. Listen, I will show you the good. This is the good. God has shown us the good. The good is the cross, church. It's the beautiful. It's the lens in which we see justice. Tim Keller writes, we don't see justice through duty. We actually see justice through beauty. And the cross that we have is beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing. It's an agony of beauty. It's the greatest beauty that emerges out of the greatest ugliness. God intends to save the world and to make it right, to establish his justice. This is our gospel. Listen, the reason, like Christians, we don't do justice because we are shamed into it. The world wants to shame you to choose a side. Listen, we do justice because we've been saved into it. The cross has saved us. And so we get caught up in the beauty. That's the good. And because we know the good, oh human, oh mortal, oh church, then out of that, we do justice. We act justly. What does that mean? It means that we're advocates. We support. We go patch holes. We do not stay silent. But we do it out of an attitude of loving mercy. That's what Mike is getting at. He's saying, hey, go do justice. That's your action. You're supposed to be active. But your attitude is different. Your attitude is not retribution. Your attitude is actually loving mercy. It's restorative. It's about lifting up, not pushing down. Man, we live in a complex world, do we not? And these issues that we face, that we see on Twitter and on the news are vast and deep. And some of them are life and death. We, we see issues like unfair pay with women. How does the church respond to that? Well, we've got to act, church out of loving mercy. We see issues with the unborn, do we not? The whole abortion issue. How do we, how do we deal with that, church? How do we infuse the goodness of God in that? Well, we act, we do something out of loving mercy. We deal with racial tension in our world. How do we deal with that, church? What are we supposed to do? We, we gotta do something, right? We act, but we do it through loving mercy. And so this has some implications for us today. This is, how we do mercy. this is how we do justice. We do justice because we have grace. We also do justice, number two, because we have the capital. What do I mean by that? Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 says, Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. We actually have capital. Like What I mean by that is God has deposited us all the emotional capital all the physical capital, all the finances, all the resources, all everything, the psychological capital to go and actually make the world a better place, to call heaven down to earth, to call heaven into our city. He's given us the capital to do that. Philippians chapter four, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is, let me just talk for a moment about a subject that is tough for us to talk about, but I wanna talk about abortion for a second. Can I just say something about us as the church? We stand for life. We are pro-life. But we are pro-life not just for the unborn. We also have to be pro-life for the struggling teenager who is bearing a burden. That's what our justice is like. We gotta do something, but out of loving mercy. We have the capital. God gives us the capital. Here's the third thing, generosity. We have to be open-handed. We have to share our assets. We have to spend ourselves. We have to get involved. You see, the world says, I earned it. I'll give it if I want to. God says, no, I gave it to you. I set you up with all those opportunities. I've given you the gifts. I've decided on where you're going to live. I've, I've, given those, I've given people in your life. When you don't share, when we don't share as the church, as the people of God, mark my words in the Bible, that is an injustice. You see, when you and I have been appointed to have much, it is an injustice to give less. And so we're called to be generous with our justice. It's easy to be generous here, but when, when, thing, when, you, when you get out in the world, it's, it gets real, right? Can I just share with you that my life, my life, the reason I'm standing here today 
was because of generosity. Some of you know my story. I was adopted. And I'm very, very aware of the fact that God's grace was on my life before I even understood what grace was. Out of generosity. There's a story out there of a young woman who was pregnant and and she was struggling with what to do and she decided that she was going to have an abortion. She didn't want to bring her child into the world. Do you realize that that that's a struggle. That's a real, real struggle that people have. You know, most people believe that what they're doing in an abortion is actually an act of justice. It's a faulty understanding of justice. What they're saying is, I would rather terminate this life than bring them into this world and have a terrible life. And do you know that most people, I was actually talking to someone who works with people all the time, most people who are pregnant and thinking about abortion, deep down in their heart and in their mind, they believe that what they're about to do is wrong. I heard a story just recently of a girl in Nova Scotia who, who she told someone at a pregnancy resource center that she had given up smoking and she had given up alcohol and she would given up drugs. And when she was asked why she did that, she said, so that I can give my baby a little bit of life before he's, he's gone. So understand the deep tension here. that we have to be loving to both. And there's a story of this woman who, she, she was pregnant. And she decided uh, in that moment that it was probably better for her and for her life to, to terminate the baby. And so she went ahead and did that. And um, story has it that years went by and she struggled with that. And it was a, a terrible thing that she decided that she had done. And so uh, she walked into church one day and she heard the gospel of Jesus. And she heard that Jesus forgives and Jesus loves and, and Jesus gives a justice that is not of this world. And, and so she accepted Jesus and she made it her life mission at that time to be an advocate for unborn children, but also for moms who are struggling. And once you know, a year or so later, this woman walks into the church and she's pregnant and she's a young girl, she's in high school, and she's immediately drawn to her. Like, when you know the grace of God, you're drawn to people like that. And she goes over to her, and she puts her arm around her, and she begins to find out her story. And the young girl, 17 years old, says, you know what, I, I think I'm just going to go through with, a, with an abortion. I just can't bring this baby in the world. And this woman said, you know what, whatever happens, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be with you. And so she, she, she walked with her, and, and she was faulty. She didn't know what she was going to do. Am I going to have this, am I going to give this baby up, or am I going to terminate this baby? What am I supposed to do? And through uh, just incredible acts of God, this woman, this, this, this young girl got letters in the mail from people, and, and her grandfather came along and said, I've got someone that I want you to consider giving your baby to. And what was amazing was that this lady who once had an abortion is now talking this other girl out of it. And so this young girl, she gives birth. And that little baby boy, that was my brother. When Zach was 17 years old, a girl was working in a pizza shop with him in upstate New York. She was pregnant. And Zach sat down with her and said, what are you, you going to do? And she says, I think I'm going to abort my, my baby. And Zach looked at her and said, do you realize I wouldn't be here today if someone made that decision? There is a young boy alive today in central New York because of the generosity and the goodness of God in the church. that we do justice with loving mercy. Remember, our justice is eternal. It's not just one life we're talking about, we're talking about another life and another generation and another generation. This is why this topic is so important. This is why we as a church have to stand firm and say we stand for life on all sides, on all categories. We're not a people who, who pick one side, we pick both sides. And we're gonna stand and we're gonna, we're gonna stand for pro-life. And I wonder today, if there's someone here today 
I just was sensing as I was coming here that there was going to be someone here today carrying an injustice that they've done. And in your heart and in your mind, you believe that that injustice is too big for the grace of God. And I just want to speak the justice of the Lord over you today and tell you that your understanding of justice is not the same as of the justice of God, that God comes to you, that he has paid your price on the cross. He has been punished for the injustice that you've caused in your life, but he, to protect you, to reach out to you, to love you, to offer you grace. And so this is why this is not just a message of exhortation to encourage us as a church. This is a message of invitation. Because there are a lot of you here today that you care about all the injustices in the world around you, but you've never dealt with the injustice inside of you. And only God by the cross can do that in you. Listen, you will never know what real justice is until the injustice inside of you is dealt with first. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you in this moment. Maybe there's some of you here today. uh, For whatever reason, the the scripture in Amos chapter 5 is just coming to my heart right now. And it says, let forth like a river, like an ever-flowing river. And there's some of you today that I'm inviting you to take a step into the river of God's justice and find hope, find healing, find grace. But for some of us, maybe we've been, there's, there's a part of us, we've been in that river before, but we've, we've been holding on and we've been, we've been kind of, something's been done to us and we want justice served. Some of us, we, our injustice for some of us is that we, we, we hold on to our forgiveness. Do you know that forgiveness is an act of justice? And some of us have been struggling. We've been dealing with some things in our life and our heart and we have just not been able to give it up. Amos goes on to say, Lord, let justice come to the gates. And some of us, we need to reestablish the justice of the Lord at the gates of our hearts. A renewal of our hearts and our minds of how we live. And I want to offer an invitation for you too. To come as we, as we sing this song. Let's stand together. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank you for the justice that is found in the word of the Lord. We thank you that it's different than, than the one that is pressed up against us, God, that we don't seek justice for justice sake, but we seek Jesus. That you don't come with a hammer and a gavel, but you come with a cross. Oh Lord, we ask that the cross would do a work in us today. In our minds, in our hearts, Lord, reestablish reestablish a godly justice. Lord, may we be a church that raises a banner of justice in our, in our region and in our cities, Lord, that maybe the reason we struggle with injustice in the world is because we have been silent as the church. And so I pray, God, would you establish, as you establish your kingdom through the church, we pray, God, you would establish your justice as well over our land, over our region, and Lord, just we thank you. We thank you that we can step forward, God, and we are not, we're not judged. That judgment has already taken place in Jesus. The retribution has already been done in Jesus. And so with that, we have access to you. We have restoration in our future. And so I pray now, God, I pray for those to take courage and to deal with the injustice in their heart and in their life. Oh God, flood us with your justice and your grace today, we pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.